Hey Jexiteers, thanks again for stopping by. If you're new to the channel, my name is Riley and I'm a former Jehovah's Witness. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Mark Joyce. Mark was raised as a Jehovah's Witness but started waking up from his indoctrination in 2011 and ultimately left the organisation in 2012. Mark also started a YouTube channel in March of this year where he discusses the topics he researched for his book entitled is it really so? Mark, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Riley. Yeah, really excited to be here. Yeah, great. Thank you very much for joining me. So um, I've been watching your channel for a while now. I really, really enjoy it. I'm also working my way through your book. It, it's absolutely superb. You're obviously a very, very thorough researcher, um, which, which is really impressive. And that's, that's one of the things that I really like about your channel. But if you could just um, go into some detail about how you first became acquainted with Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, yeah, I, I suppose you could call me um, born in in some sense. Um, when I was just a very young, like two or three maybe, um, my dad um, became a witness and raised us in the, in the belief system. So like from very young, uh, I very early and like happy memories of like going to the Kingdom Hall and going to meetings and uh, you know, feeling like it was a nice place to be. Um, but then when I was, I think it was roughly around 1986, um, my dad left the organization, um, but he was still like, still like totally mentally in. So we were, we were raised pretty much at, after that point was no religion, but with, you know, every now and then being told that Jehovah's Witnesses have the truth and, you know, Armageddon's coming and, um, you know, all, all of their beliefs are, you know, true and based on the Bible. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a, kind of a, a very strange experience because at one, like in, in one level I had a religion, but we were non-practicing. So, like, I saw myself as a Jehovah's Witness, but uh, Jehovah's Witnesses didn't see us as Jehovah's Witnesses, if you know what I mean. Um, and then I... Um, um, I remember something really vividly that, like, I, I know totally triggered me to to, fu to fully get involved. And that was a time when I was, like, maybe 16 years old, maybe even 15, and I was up in the attic. And, like, my dad my dad kept all the old watchtowers, all the old awakes. I mean, the attic was just stuffed to the gills full of old watchtower books and publications. And I was going through the attic, and going through all these Watchtower magazines and I, I would read I would read all the books myself um, but I came across you know that um, that old Awake magazine where it says 1914 the generation that will not pass away and it has all the old faces and they, they're kind of getting older and older and um, I read that and I read it like in the attic then and there and that was it I knew like I was just stunned I didn't I didn't know that aspect of the teaching um, and so I went like after that I went downstairs I gave it to my dad and I said did he know like did he know th this truth and he said yeah and uh, I, then I said to him why don't, why don't we go to the meetings anymore and he said I don't know um, and so after that I decided the next witness I saw I would stop them I would ask them could I have a bible study where the meetings were and uh yeah, like a couple of months later, I did exactly that, and I was baptized a year later. So that's that's how I came to be baptized. 
and I'm the only one in my family too who did that. I've got like three other siblings, and they never did anything like that. But yeah, that was that was how I got involved. Right. Wow. So, um, would would you describe yourself as a very studious person? Oh yeah, yeah, always. Like I was, yeah, I've always read books. It's it's always always where I've gotten my information from. Um, yeah. So, like, yeah, that was like when I when I first joined the religion, I just I just drank it in. I mean, I was reading all the old publications. You know the the books from the 50s and the 60s like just read them all um, um, like the the Bible study I had was just pretty much like um, well I, I saw it more or less as just a, a process that I had to go through in order to become to become a witness because like I, I just knew it already I read the book like five or six times like well after I was given it so um, yeah, I've always I've always read a lot, always, um, and so like in the organization, I, I I knew it I knew it back to front, I I knew it extremely well, and and that was that was why it was a bit of a shock for me when I woke up because like I I really thought I knew so many things that I didn't really know, even the things that I thought were true, weren't true and. Um, it was quite a shock to me because, you know, when when you read so much and you think you think you know a lot, and then you come face to face with this idea that well you don't, um, yeah, I think that's what really mo in in part that's what motivated me to write the book because I just felt like I had to like thoroughly deconstruct the whole thing so that um, um, like I could like I could just like put my hand on my heart and say I'm absolutely thoroughly convinced this isn't true anymore and like I, I, I have like I have I have enough good reasons to say that's not true um, so that was kind of where I came from with the, with the book I mean I could have I could have done I could have done um, another way I mean I could have started the YouTube channel that's never ever occurred to me until very recently um, I think it's because I've always gotten my information from books like that's how I learn, and that's that. That's what works for me, um, and so um, that was just kind of almost an instinctual uh, idea that I wanted to like ar articulate my reasons for rejecting the beliefs uh, in in book form. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, from watching your channel, I get the 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 impression from you that you're extremely studious, and that you really research things very very well that you you know you you don't you're not content with just scratching the surface and um w would you say that that side of your personality is what helped you to indoctrinate yourself but at the same time it's what helped you to deconstruct that in indoctrination yeah absolutely it's, yeah that's very true um yeah because because i read a lot and, and it's something that I enjoy. I mean, um, like, like there's no end of Watchtower literature, right? I mean, there's like tens and tens of thousands of pages. You could you could just read it all day, every day. Um, and so, when when you have that kind of mindset, you you can go like you can take deep dives into the Watchtower dogma, and you know you can you can you can start to feel that you really understand this thing in depth. Um, 
and yeah, and, and then when you when you realize there's a whole other dimension to you know the Bible and and you know who wrote it and when it was written and what it means or what it might mean, um, yeah, it, it just it took me it took me in another path, but the, but the the process was the same. I I just wanted to I wanted to know what it was, like really, um, and so. Yeah, like the the idea that I, I, I like to learn from books m meant that when I started waking up, um, that's the avenue I went down. And, and I think the, the idea that you said about um, uh, like what got me involved was the same thing that woke me up. Um, is like It reminds me of something, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with um, Friedrich Nietzsche, but he, he, wrote, a, he wrote a book about... Um, I think it's in Toward Good and Evil, where he said that um, the ideas in Christianity about things being true um, were the very thing that was going to topple it, because if people have this idea in their head that pursuing truth is good and is noble, then um, even if that idea comes from uh, a manifestly false dogma, it's going to undermine it because if people have the idea in their head that truth is a good thing, then it's going to dismantle the entire edifice of the, you know, the orthodox belief system from where it came. And I, like to some extent, Nietzsche kind of predicted that Christianity would end up destroying itself because it's based on this idea of of truth. And I think the whole Watchtower dogma is quite similar because they constantly stress this idea: it's the truth, it's true, and. It's actually not, it's just a euphemism for their dogma, but if someone gets this idea in their head that truth is important, and I think I did, um, when they just have, when they allow themselves that initial thought that something here isn't true, there's something wrong here, um, this idea of truth being valuable kind of takes over. And, well, I, I, I want to know what's true now. I really genuinely felt that, even though it was very disturbing. Um, I had this idea that, if it's not true, I just had to know, because it being true was really important to me. And this is something I've come to understand now, I think, that there's a lot of people in the organization that don't, don't really care for truth. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter to them, I think. Um, and I think many people who do value actual truth um, are the ones that probably have a better chance of waking up. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And um, it's interesting what you said about there are some people in the organization that, that really couldn't care less whether it's true or not. I mean, <laughs> I could give you a list of names. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not going to. Yeah, I think that's why some people say, um, even if it wasn't true, it's still the best way of life. I think that's a real giveaway because um, what, they're, what they're essentially admitting to is, like, truth is unimportant to me. Um, it's it's just it's the feeling of comfort and satisfaction in in my life story and you know the story I'm telling myself that's what's important to me and because that never never an expression I used when I was in the dogma never I never said even if it wasn't true it's still the best way of life I mean if someone said to me even when I was like fully in if it wasn't true would you still you know go to the meetings or go on the preaching work I would have instantaneously said no so. Yeah, I, I, I think the idea of 
a person really valuing truth is, is a really good indication that, that they might have some potential of waking up at some stage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had those conversations myself with people who have said, you know, even if it isn't true, it is the best way of life. And looking back now, I think that many of those people, they probably had doubts themselves. They probably had right. doubts as to whether or not it was the truth. But they just thought sure. to themselves, well, you know, I'm ha content with my life. You know, I'm happy yeah. in the organization. And that's that's more important as to whether or not the doctrine is true. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, uh, when a couple of elders came to meet me just shortly after I started waking up, I, st I stopped attending meetings and um, I asked them a couple of questions, like re really, really simple, basic questions, and they were totally stumped. Um, and I can't remember what the questions were, but it's kind of irrelevant because one of the responses from the elders was, well, I'm not changing now. No, I've 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 been a witness for fifty years. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just like suddenly like change and join another religion or become an atheist. And it just struck me as just so bizarre that the, like the the mindset the mindset this is an elder speaking. The mindset of this elder was well, I've been a witness such a long time now. I have no interest in changing. And my mindset was well, if it's not true, then. You're just you're lying to yourself and you're wasting your time. So you know that should be something you should at least want to know. Um, but yeah, there's like there's there's like a a mental barrier, like a, like a permafrost in their mind that just nothing can penetrate below that. And it's just this is my lifestyle. This is what I want to believe, and that's what I'll believe. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a real shame, you know, that that there are people who are like that. But um, would you say that when it, when it came to your, your waking up, was there one thing that stands out in your mind that was like the first thread that you decided to pull? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, I've thought about that quite a lot because um, it was really quite a, like a, it was a difficult time in my life, like a really, really stressful time for several years. And um I do remember one book I read, and I, I, I write about this in the preface to my book. Um, I remember reading um, The Better Angels of Our Nature by Steven Pinker, and I encountered it totally by chance. Um, I was just wandering through a bookshop. Um, I was fully mentally in at this stage. I was like an elder and a pioneer. Um, and the title of the book really just grabbed me because it was... Um, the subtitle was um, The Decline of Violence in History and Its Causes. And my initial reaction was, well, that is not true. Like, the dogma says that we're living in the age of violence. You know, wars and violent crime have never been so high. Um, and so I just thought it was like a, re a really interesting, and I, and I knew Stephen Pinker, like I knew he was like a heavyweight intellectual. So this, this wasn't going to be some, you know, uh, wasn't going to be a waste of time, so I bought the book and and it's pretty big and it's pretty deep and it goes on for like seven hundred pages. But when I finished the book, um, and it took me a few months to read it, um, I just I couldn't I couldn't resist his conclusion that we're living in uh, a really extraordinary time in history where 
uh, crime and violence are at historic lows. Um, war is less common than it's ever been. And even when war does happen, deaths are lower. Uh, civili civilian casualties are much lower. Um, and I knew that the that accepting his conclusion meant I would have to discard my belief in the last days. It just the, the two of them just could not go hand in hand. Um, and it's not like I just kind of clicked my fingers and said, "Well, okay, I'm going to pick one." It was just was it like a, a really torturous process of which one? Which one am I going to decide? And I've a, a huge emotional and intellectual commitment to the dogma. Um, but I just could not ignore what Stephen Pinker was saying in the book and that was that was the initial thing that really kind of rocked me and it, it made me it made me say to myself, Okay, I can't I can't accept the conclusion that we're living in a more violent time uh, than in the past. Which means the whole last day's dogma is in question. So if I'm wrong about that what else am I wrong about? And that just made me kind of, it wasn't an instantaneous thing, but it, it's kind of started me on the path of, okay, I have to deconstruct this whole thing. You know, what else, what else have I been missing or what else didn't I know? Or what else do I need to know? Um, and I remember distinctly asking myself, um, if I was to encounter the religion now for the first time, what, what questions would I be asking? What information would I need to know before accepting it? And um, so that was, that was really the thing that started me down that. Wow, that's, that's really, really interesting. So I think a, a, a phrase that is almost inextricably linked with witness doctrine and waking up is cognitive dissonance. And it is something that all witnesses have, whether they're waking up or not, to, to some degree. Did you find that you had that when, when you started tugging on this thread of, you know, whether or not we're living in a more or less violent time than, than in the past? Did you at any time just like put that to the back of your head and just like ignore it? Or did you feel that you had to, to face it head on and, and confront it? Yeah, I think, I think for quite a while, like for like, as I said, it took me months to read the book, because um, I, I normally have like several books that I'm reading. Um, so I'd say it probably took maybe three, maybe four months to finally get through the book. And um, I do, re I do remember thinking this is a really interesting book, and there's there's things here that I need to think deeply about. But it it wasn't it wasn't an instantaneous thing. I I did I was able to compartmentalize, and kind of think well, this is an interesting book. It's full of facts and figures that I can't dispute, and it challenges part of my beliefs. But I'm not going to go there. I, I, I did spend several months just not, not addressing that issue. But, um, it, it it was it was the spark. I mean, I think, I think to some degree, when, when you are experiencing that kind of mindset, that cognitive dissonance, um, it's not like you can you can completely put it away, um. It's 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 always it's always kind of there nagging you to some degree, um, and you can either decide to kind of just live with that discomfort or to like to go there to to address it and um, like I couldn't I couldn't tell you exactly 
why or how I, I kind of came to, to that decision, but I did, I did make the decision eventually to not restrict my information to only watch terror literature and to kind of to, to examine the religion in light of information that the, the, the governing body, say, for example, would not want me to not want me to read. So so after you resolved, you know, you, you after you confronted this this issue and you accepted that um, or basically you accepted the, the findings of that that were explained in that book. Um, what what happened next? Did you start looking for other things that you might that the witnesses might be wrong about? No, no. I remember. I think I think the next book I read was from a, a former evangelical Christian uh, missionary who lost his faith because even even at this stage, I like I was I was having real difficulty with the last day's dogma, but. Um, I would still have no interest in like apostate information. Like, it never occurred to me to go to websites or read books that were from former witnesses. Just still had no interest in that whatsoever. Um, but I think like just from my reading list on Amazon or something, this book came up. It's called um, "Why I Believed" by um, Kenneth Daniels, I think it's called. And I remember reading, you know, his journey from like being a missionary to losing his faith. And it sounded like it could have been writ written by a witness. Um, lots of the ideas and lots of the things he was going through, the things he was struggling with, um, like you could, you, you could have replaced his faith in Jesus with Jehovah. Um, and the way his family and his friends started treating him. Uh, and the thought processes that he was going through while losing his faith just sounded so strikingly similar to what I was experiencing and the way he was talking was like a witness might talk and I started thinking to myself well it makes total sense what he's saying about him losing his faith um, uh, may maybe maybe I'm going through the same process and maybe and th it's a very interesting book too I mean he takes he takes a bit of a deep dive into the Bible too and uh, a lot of the evangelical beliefs so um i started thinking then perhaps perhaps that's the route that uh I'm, i might start taking so while you were going through this uh deconstruction process was there anything that you discovered or learned that that really affected you negatively or that shocked you in any way um no, no, I, I think, I think for a very long time my waking up process was maybe a little bit different from a lot of people. I know, I know from watching like other people's stories that um, um, they like immediately go into the the like failed prophecies and the Australian Royal Commission and um, these things shock them and then they you know they wake up and they see everything so new and fresh after that, but. No, I, I, like I, I just started reading books. So I was, I started reading books from like say archaeologists and uh, Bible scholars and um, you know philosophy books and you know history books and 
like for a lot of what I was reading wouldn't necessarily um, contradict the Watchtower. Some of it would, um, but whenever I came across something interesting, I'd always like take a note and you know allow myself to go back to that later on. But um, like one real, I think one real eye opener. It didn't affect me negatively, but I think the book that really I know transformed my view of the Bible was. Um, Richard uh, Elliot Friedman's book Who Wrote the Bible um, and yeah I mean it's just it's just astounding it, it just it look it, like it, it bowled me over that I thought I understood this book and I thought I knew what was in it but I didn't have the first idea it was just it, it totally transformed my view of where it came from and who wrote it and I was just mesmerized reading it it just it like you, you, like I'm not. You, you asked me about like a negative experience, but um, it was to some extent a, ne a negative experience because I felt like I'd been lying to myself about this book for so long, um, and yet at the same time I was like super excited because I was learning all these fascinating things that, like I I, I love to learn things. So it was like at the same time it was like exciting, but also it was very nerve-wracking to like to start knowing these things um and I, I was i was reading this book and i was still an elder um and i was up there you know giving talks and i'm starting and i'm thinking to myself as i'm saying these things i don't believe this anymore um and that was something that really affected me because um like when you're when you're telling people this is true and you know you have lots of information that tells you otherwise. It's it's very very uncomfortable, um, and and you're going on the preaching work. You're telling people you know X Y and Z about the Bible, and I'm thinking to myself, no, I don't believe that either anymore. So, yeah, learning learning lots of things about the Bible that I never had any idea was what was the case, and then having to like being obliged to tell other people something different. Um, was was quite stressful for me so that was that was one of the main reasons i um i stepped down i just had this i had this huge anxiety that i was now pushing something that just wasn't true yeah i can only imagine how difficult that 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 conflict must have been to resolve and it ultimately led to you stepping down which was you know under the circumstances the only decision you could have made really um so how did things progress from there um, well, I stepped, yeah, I stepped down as an elder and I, I initially felt like huge relief. It was, it was almost like, like that burden was taken from me, but like within a matter of like days or weeks, I, I realized that it, just, it wasn't over. I just, I needed to, I needed to like fully settle the question, do I believe this or not? Um, um, and so like, so I'd say maybe a couple of months after I stepped down as an elder, um, I stopped preaching. Um, my meeting attendance was on and off, and I'm like I'm pretty sure if I wasn't married to a witness, I would have just simply stopped going to meetings, like I stopped going on the preaching work. But um, like there's a huge pressure there because like my wife was a witness and 
like it was stressful for her too because like I was a former elder and a pioneer and now I'm not and now I'm not even preaching and now I'm not even going to all the meetings and so like for several months I would go to meetings just to make it easier for her um, but then then I just I just had to be honest with myself and say look I don't believe this anymore um, so I just completely stopped going to meetings and um, it was around that time too that I started thinking about well yeah your 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 entire worldview just starts to shift it's 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 you start thinking about you know what your goals should be um, you know what what your what your moral values should be um, you know what you want to do with your life because it's almost like you're starting from nothing again so um, I, enro I enrolled in university then later that year um, and yeah that was yeah haven't haven't been to a meeting since and what I what I did when I was in university strangely enough I studied like economics and sociology it had nothing to do with um, history or Bible scholarship but um, if you were to find me in university I'd probably be going through some some journal or some book that was relevant to what I was my mental state at that time you know what am I what am I thinking about now is it the last days or is it you know the Bible's consistency or is it uh, um, you know it, you know who 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 compiled the canon of the Bible I mean all, all these all these questions that I was I was now looking at afresh I was thinking about during those years in college and um, that's when the idea kind of hit me that kind of compiling compiling all the information that I was learning might be a useful useful thing to do because my wife didn't want to know all, all the people that were my friends were kind of avoiding me um, so the only thing I, I felt that I could do was like have that dialogue with myself and kind of just like write it out and uh, so that's that's kind of where the idea for for my book came um, and yeah so that's yeah, that's pretty much what I did from from then on. Because th as soon as I graduated from university, um, uh, my wife told me that uh, she wanted to move back to Finland, and she's Finnish. So, uh, like the day after I graduated university, we moved to Finland. So, uh, I was even more isolated then because um, I was like pretty much totally alone, um, living in a foreign country where I didn't speak the language. Um, I couldn't find a job. Um, and my wife didn't want to know anything about, you know, why I left. So, um, the only thing I really had during that time period was, um, researching and writing the book. And, um, uh, it's kind of what I think kind of kept me going, you know, it was just a very lonely and stressful time. And the, 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 the only, the only kind of structure I had in my life was, um, was, was looking into the, to, to the dogma. Hmm. Yeah, that must have been a really difficult time. I can only imagine how um, isolating that must have felt, especially since it's, it's not not just isolating because you were in a foreign country and couldn't speak the language, which means that you know you didn't really have a support system. Waking up is its own form of isolation as well, 
you know, because you, you're, you're now extricating yourself from a belief system that you've held for most of your life. You're now on the outside of something. You know, there's a mental isolation that goes along with that as that as well, which you know I've I've certainly experienced that in my in my own, you know, in my own experience, and, it, and it, it's not it's not an easy thing to live with. It's not easy at all. Um, when you were waking up, did you did you try and wake up anyone else? Uh, no, 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 I didn't. I mean, I had like had some tentative conversations with my wife, but it was. It was very clear she didn't want to know, um, and I I didn't want to push that on her because, well, well the whole process was very stressful for her too, and like me trying to force her to listen to information I knew would be counterproductive, um, and I also remember um, when the elders came to visit me, um, like at, at one point I was like. Like, like really extremely anxious and I was depressed and um, I even had like suicidal ideations I mean I just thought this is too much for me to cope with like my entire life was just crumbling right I mean everything that I thought was true seemed to be not true and the people that I cared about didn't seem to care about what I was going through um, and I remember telling the elders that when they came to see me and um they just blanked me. They just, like, and I'm not not judging them now, but they just didn't know how to cope with that. Um, I, I I told them that I had thoughts of killing myself. That I was I was that distressed about what I was learning, and um, they just let that comment go. And then the next question was, we just want to know if you're going to tell anyone about what you're learning. And. So like like they were just like just like they had this tunnel vision of okay look this is what this is what you believe now or you you've stopped believing this um this they call it the truth of course you stop believing the truth um that's your business but if you ever dare to like tell other people and draw other people after you we're gonna have to do something about that um and so that terrified me I mean I was. Yeah, like at the time, I now had like one relationship left in my life, and that was my wife. And if I was disfellowshipped, I kind of thought, well, then that's over. I mean, I, I, I don't think our marriage could have recovered from that. And um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't try to convince anyone else because I was, I was bullied into not doing it. I mean, I, I knew, I knew what what the consequences would be. I mean, they, well. It wasn't like it was a veiled threat. It was like very, very quite direct. I mean, you tell anyone else, um, we will come, come back, and we, and it won't just be a conversation. I, th I think that's exactly what he said. Um, we're, we'll be coming back, and it won't just be a friendly conversation. Wow. Yeah. That's that's really terrible. That's that sounds like. You know, you're dealing with organised crime. <laughs> that, that's what the conversation sounds like. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like, well, yeah, we, we run the truth racket in this town. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you, you started writing your book. How, how did you feel when you, when you finally finished and published it? I think, um, 
I think the two uh, moments in my life where I felt most proud was when I got baptized and uh, when, I, when I finally had a, a copy of my book in my hand. Um, uh, I, loved, I loved reading and researching and writing the book, but like um, editing the book and formatting it for paperback, I mean, I did all that myself and it was just so much work and effort and uh, I really hated that part of it. But when it was finally finished, yeah, I was just, yeah, super excited. I mean, um, yeah, felt felt like I'm I'm not a person I'm not a person that would um, feel proud of myself very often, um, but yeah, I, I felt I felt I felt quite proud of myself when I when I finally published it and I I could see it was up for sale and um, I I had no I had no illusions that um, you know I was going to be selling millions of copies that I never really wrote it for that it was just the 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 act of actually doing it. And and have and get, and like publishing it was, yeah. I, I felt uh, proud of myself. Uh, and so you should. I mean, from what I've read of it so far, I mean, what what you expressed when you read uh, what was the name of the book you read? Who wrote the Bible? All of the feelings that you you expressed that you felt when you were reading that. As you were saying that, I was saying to myself, that's exactly how I felt reading your book. <laughs> Honestly. Just in the first couple of chapters alone, I was completely, completely amazed and blown away because it was presenting me with all of these things that I just had no idea of previously. It completely turned everything that I thought, you know, upside down. And I'd already woken up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, yeah, you yeah, you, you, you should. It's a, it's a fantastic achievement. You should feel feel proud of yourself about that and you know this is something that comes up with a lot of witnesses and ex-witnesses is we're not used to self-celebration yeah. we're not used to self-celebration at all it's something that goes completely against the witness culture you know it's it, it, it's just it's not compatible with being a witness you know feel, feeling proud of your achievements and self-celebration everything's got to be directed towards the organization yeah, I you know that that reminds me of something. Um, when I was when I was an elder, I, um, I, I I treated my public talks like I would treat how I dealt with the book. I mean, I, I would like go like go one hundred percent into them, and I would like do like tons of extra research and get lots of you know extra information and um, and almost I mean almost always people would tell me. They loved my talks, and they were, you know, they just they just thought they were so informative, and uh, and I, I really got satisfaction out of that. But um, sometimes, and it's usually another elder would counsel me on them because they had too much non-watchtower information. Um, but one thing, one thing um, I would often hear is uh, from from other witnesses after I've given a talk is how grateful I should be to the organization for teaching me how to speak publicly. It was, it wasn't like, like many people were very like generous with their comments, but you'd often hear this too, um, that it wasn't something that I had done or prepared myself, that, that the Watchtower had given me the gift of being able to speak publicly. It, it wasn't something that I'd worked on myself or researched myself it was a gift from the organization to me and I should be grateful for that. And I think that kind of speaks to your point that 
if there's if there's any kind of um, congratulations or or respect or honor given to a person, it's seen it's seen as being a bad thing or or a negative thing. It, it always has to go back to the organization, and like that's your function really to kind of shift adulation and respect from yourself uh, to the group. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's sad, really. I mean, um, yeah, as, as you know, men in the organization giving public talks, you're not even supposed to really accept compliments when people give them to you about your talk, right. <laughs> you know, which yeah. it seems completely bizarre to me now. But when you're in it and, you, you know, you, you don't really know any different, you feel that exceptional compliment is somehow being prideful or big-headed, yeah. which is a really ridiculous notion. You know, that, that that's one thing that I really, really can't stand about the organisation is that it it takes everything, absolutely everything, to the extreme. There's no middle ground in every in anything. You know, it is possible to be proud and feel proud about something you've achieved without, at the same time, being a big-headed braggart you know right. watchtower tries to present this idea that it's it has to be one or the other but it doesn't have to be one or the other there, there is a middle ground in that yeah yeah that's yeah that's the problem with um like high control groups there's, there's no room for nuance it's just it's it's one or the other and you you, you you're under obligation to kind of just jump from one 100% viewpoint to another and it's usually at the say so of another person and um, yeah like there's that's one of the great things about being out isn't it you can you can kind of say well you know I like on some on some things I might be a bit of a liberal and on some things I might be a bit of a conservative and that's cool and I'm happy with that whereas if the organization is like no you have to be on one side and you or you have to be on the other and one is fully good and, and one is fully bad and it's 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 a huge I find it a huge relief to be able to allow like nuance and subtlety in my opinions and my thinking and to be open to kind of think well I also might not know what I'm talking about I I, I might need to be corrected somehow and and leaving that option available it's just not something that witnesses really uh, are allowed to do is it yeah you're you're absolutely right and what you said really resonates with me as well because that's kind of like my new life philosophy for want of a better term is right. is balance is that the yeah. truth is never to be found in extremes truth is all truth always lies somewhere between the two extremes not necessarily dead center in the middle but definitely not at either end yeah yeah it reminds me of something i read in um i don't know if you're familiar with eric hoffer um he's uh he's he's dead now he's an american philosopher but he said um when the nazis were going recruiting people for the nazi party um, they didn't just go to the general population, they usually went to the communist meetings. And even though they were like diametrically opposed from each other, he said the reasons that they went to the communists to recruit them to be Nazis was because they were actually the same. They were extremists. And extremists don't generally care what their extreme viewpoint is, they just want an extreme viewpoint. And he said, like the, like the opposite of an extreme left-winger is not an extreme right winger. The opposite of both of those is like the moderate centrist who's able to say, well, I'm forming my own beliefs and I'll take what I think is useful from both sides. And it kind of just 
that's pretty much exactly what you just said. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. You know, when it comes to politics, which is something that I've been interested in for many, many years, even when I was a witness, um, yeah. I've always felt that people on the extreme left and on the extreme right have so much more in common with each other than they do with the people in the middle on their own side. <laughs> and I mean, any thinking person, just look at the, the, the political climate around the world at the moment. It, you know, that, that would be obvious to anyone who really cares to look at it. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I look at the, um, the, ex the extremes on the political spectrum too, and I, I find so many similarities to the high control religious group because they just have their set beliefs. And when you're talking to an extreme, uh, uh, a person with extreme political views, you almost don't need to talk to them because you know exactly what they believe on every major issue. It's not something they've thought about. They've just accepted the party line. This is what I'm supposed to believe because this is what my party tells me is appropriate. And it's just like being in a religion to some extent. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. So how did you um, or what made you decide to start a YouTube channel? Um, well, I had finished my book and like my I started writing the book in 2016 and published it in 2021. So it was kind of I wasn't working on it full time for five years, but um, like when the pandemic hit, I think I had maybe 80 percent of it written. And I wasn't able to work for, for a lot of the pandemic. So for over a year, I had a huge amount of free time and I just poured it into the book and, and got it finished. And then when I had published it, I just kind of felt like I had so much more free time. Um, I kind of thought, well, what am I going to do now? Um, and so I thought, well, like people don't really read nowadays. They tend to like listen or to or to, like listen to podcasts or to watch YouTube, and so I kind of thought that um, it might be a good idea maybe to like take some things from the book um, and like turn them into short videos and just uh, just to kind of maybe like get the message out there that there is a book with that kind of content, and um, also just to kind of like do it for myself. It's it's you know when you when you spend so much time on a book. You might think that you know every single word in it word for word, but um, like I've, I, I packed quite a bit into the book, so I actually do find it um, I find it rewarding to like to dip back into it myself and then try to condense the thoughts into it like for a short video. So um, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm I'm enjoying putting the videos out there, and um, so I, I kind of made I gave myself the commitment of like doing it for twelve months, and if I'm getting something from it, I'll I'll, I'll keep it up. Well, I am really glad that you decided to do it because I've gotten so much value from your videos. Um, I think my favourite one is the one that asked the question, um, "Why do? What's the real reason why Jehovah's Witnesses preach?" And that that was really, really good, and it makes so much sense as well. Could you tell us a little bit about that that video? Yeah, it's yeah. There's not actually a section in my book that deals with like why Jehovah's Witnesses preach but I do have a chapter on like the the psychology and the sociology and the social psychology of the movement and I just found looking into that like absolutely fascinating because 
like you look at like group dynamics and how they operate um it's just it's just absolutely incredible how it like controls behavior and how like certain acts uh aren't just for the act themselves but are like an attempt to like manage your impressions that you give to other people or how you're trying to signal your intent or your moral virtue um and i think the preaching work just has so many of those facets tied up in it that it's like the linchpin of the it's it's the reason it's the linchpin of the movement because it indoctrinates the person themselves um any response that people get from the preaching is seen as a confirmation that it's true um and it, and it also functions as kind of a like a policing mechanism where other people are looking at other people to see if they're doing the ritual um so that it almost becomes a way that people are kept inside the movement because you're you're constantly trying to demonstrate that the belief system is so important to you that you're willing to make this sacrifice and the bigger sacrifice you make the bigger signal you're giving so it's it's almost like it's almost like a a competitive venture where people are like scrambling to to announce you know how how earnestly they believe it and and uh, how much sacrifice they're willing to uh, to put in for that so yeah I, I i find i find the and i i don't i don't make any um pretensions that this is like a deliberate thing i think these things often just develop organically within religions and within groups it's just it's just because we're social creatures um these like mechanisms just start becoming like epiphenomenon of group behavior and um i i don't think it's like i don't think there's like some sinister meeting of the governing body where they say well how are we going to indoctrinate people and keep them in the group i think this just like happens to a large extent by itself but it's certainly fascinating for me to look at behaviors in the watchtower movement um from like the perspective of not what they say the work is doing but what it might actually be be accomplishing in terms of the social dynamics and the individual psychology and it's definitely something i find very interesting myself yeah me me too um i i absolutely hated the ministry i absolutely hated it it was it was worse than a chore you know, and I, I, I don't think I've spoken to any formal witness who has anything good to say about it. I mean, I'm sure there are some who genuinely did enjoy it, but I definitely wasn't one of them. Yeah, me too. I, I didn't like it either. And um, um, I, I, I brought um, several people into the dogma. I mean, I even though I didn't like the preaching work, I really took it seriously. Um, I, I, I put my heart and soul into it. And... Um, something i feel really guilty for now because at the time you you think it's just the best thing in the world you've like you've you've met this person on first call they they're they make progress their wife becomes interested they've got like they've got kids and the kids like start going in the preaching work and they then get baptized and you're thinking oh man i'm like i'm doing something so valuable here i'm saving lives i'm teaching people the truth and now i think like one of the young boys, his name was uh, Petrus, um, and like he was like this super serious, 
super like kind lovely kid and when I was studying with the family I asked him what he wanted to be when he was older and he said a doctor and like he was like he was he was doing really good in school so I kind of thought that's great you know he wants to be a doctor but then after they came into the dogma um, he changed his mind and he said he wants to be a Bethelite and like now I'm thinking to myself he's probably a grown man now and if he's still in the dogma if he went to Bethel instead of becoming a doctor it's just a tragedy it's just an absolute tragedy that um, the organization just strips people of their potential and and the good that they could do for themselves and for others is just thrown away and they're made to like serve the organization and like that's just, it's just so sad it's just like when you're when you're out of course like when you're out everyone knows this you see you see everything in a very very different light and it's just extraordinary how profound that transformation is you can go from seeing something as being the best thing that you could possibly spend your time on to viewing it with like disgust and contempt and um yeah the the, the perspective once you leave is is really quite extraordinary yeah I, I couldn't agree more it what it reminds me of is um i often compare things to movies because i saw i'm a real film buff and my head is like an encyclopedia for movie <laughs> quotes movies and movie scenes right so um there's this movie called um equilibrium with a uh, christian bale and uh tay diggs i think if i remember rightly and um it's sort of like a not quite post-apocalyptic, but it's set in the in the distant future where human beings have decided that all emotions are bad. Emotion is a bad thing. Emotions are the reason why civilizations in the past had had you know crumbled, and it's like the one reason why everything is bad. So people now every day they take this pill that suppresses their their emotions. So everything they do is based on logic and reason. There's no feeling in anything. Um, but then there's like a small resistance movement of people who are like, who stop taking their medication and they're like waking up. And the main character, Christian Bale, he stops taking his. And he doesn't do it voluntarily. I think it's been a long time since I've seen the film, but I think maybe somebody swapped his pills with some, with a fake or something. So he wasn't getting his daily dose of emotional suppressant. <laughs> And then he woke up one morning and then looked outside as the sun was rising and it brought him to tears seeing the sunrise just the the, mm. the beauty in the awe of it he just started crying and i think that's a really good metaphor for what it is like waking up from indoctrination and seeing the world as it is for the very first time it is a lot like that yeah I, yeah that's yeah that's really interesting i I, I, rem I remember having kind of similar thoughts like that myself, that um, things that I would have like dismissed as being useless or unnecessary now now just like take on totally new meaning for me. Like um, um, like politics, for example, like like you just said, like I, like, a, like a good witness, I would have just dismissed it as all just useless and corrupt and unnecessary. And now I kind of feel like I have a civic duty to take part in that process because um, I, I, if you have an opinion and you don't 
like take part in the democratic process, then you you, you, you know your your opinion shouldn't be listened to if you're not doing something about it. Um, and there's like there's, there's so many other aspects to um, like just getting involved in a local community or, or like volunteering, uh, which I've done a little bit of. It's just it, it wouldn't have really occurred to me to do that as a witness, but now I just I find it so satisfying and and engaging. It, it I have a completely different perspective on like helping out in the community than I would have when I was fully in. Me too, and uh, um, also particularly when it comes to things like politics. Like I voted for the very first time. Um, when was it? When was the election? It was a few weeks ago. Yeah. May the sixth, I think it was. Yeah, I voted in that election for the, you know, that was the first time I'd ever voted in my life. But I felt a profound sense of responsibility, you know, not just then. I mean, when I started waking up, realizing that Armageddon isn't coming, you know, Jehovah isn't just going to come and reset everything. So now I actually have to care when things go wrong in the world, especially if it's within my power to make a positive contribution to it and um, something I've spoken about with many ex-witnesses is empathy and I, I certainly feel a lot more empathetic as a person now that I'm no longer a witness which is kind of counterintuitive because as a witness you think that you care about people you think that everything you're doing is motivated by love and because you don't want to see anyone destroyed at Armageddon mostly when witnesses do the preaching work is for their own salvation because they don't want to be blood guilty whether they realize that's the reason or not but because witnesses have this thing that jehovah is going to sort out the world it's not my place they don't really care about anything they don't care about people's suffering they don't care about people's you know struggles or plights on a day-to-day basis or if they do care, they're not motivated to do anything about it because Jehovah's going to sort that out. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I, totally, yeah. I, I totally agree. It's almost like, um, like I'd, I'd be, I'm very interested and concerned, like, for example, about climate change. But as a witness, I would have this idea in my head, well, okay, it's a big problem, but, you know, Jehovah's in charge. Like, Jehovah's, Jehovah's not going to allow us to completely and totally destroy the earth so it's you know, uninhabitable. Um, but even though I would have been concerned as a witness, I wouldn't have the same level of interest in the topic as I would now because um, now I don't think God's kingdom is going to solve it. Or if there's like some kind of potentially big military confrontation, as a witness I would have thought, well, Jehovah's not going to allow like a nuclear apocalypse because that's not part of his plan. Whereas, whereas now I would think, like if there was some kind of major conflict between, say, the West and China, it would like it would be something I would be desperately interested in tr- try, trying to prevent or doing what I could or or protesting or writing to my you know MEPs or something that that wouldn't have occurred to me before because you just have that mental block that Jehovah's Kingdom is going to sort everything out and you know me getting involved is is pointless or even or even you know will 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 be harmful. Yeah, absolutely. I felt exactly the same way when I was waking up. I thought to myself, not only did I feel a sense of responsibility, I was also a little bit scared as well. I was thinking to myself, now it it is actually possible 
that yeah. you know we could end up destroying the world. No, we don't. We don't have that failsafe anymore. That that safety net of Jehovah and His kingdom. You know, it means I, I I can't sit by and just do nothing. You know, if it's in my power to to, to contribute positively or to change something. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's something the Watchtower organization kind of indoctrinates people with is that you don't have a sense of responsibility. The, the, the only thing you should be concerned with is like doing what you're told have, having having like a mature perspective on the world and on current events is just you just you, you don't do it do you it's just you you can't have a mature responsible mindset um in the organization because everything is just centered around preaching and mundane cult activities um you, you just you just can't have that sense of individual responsibility for for your community or making decisions to to contribute to the world it's just it's yeah it's stripped from you when you're when you're in that kind of environment yeah yeah exactly i mean the, this um mindset that witnesses have of being in the world but not being a part of it i see that very much now as like freeloading it is a lot like freeloading because you know, you if as as long as you're alive, you're benefiting from this wicked, wicked system <laughs> in some way, shape, or form. You know, if you if you benefit from something, then you should contribute to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I um, it, it reminds me of something I read in um, in Eric Hoffer's book as well. Um, actually, I, I I think people watching this really might enjoy Eric Hoffer's book, um, The True Believer because it's, um, he talks about mass movements um, and it's particularly political movements that he's talking about, but like, I'm sure any witness who reads that book will just see so many um, like striking connections with, 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 with the Watchtower organization because one of the things he stresses in the book is like, to have a successful mass movement, you have to do, uh, you have to condition people in three ways. One you connect the movement to like a glorious past where like great figures in the past are connected with this current movement. The past or the, the present has to be just contemptible and miserable and disgusting. And you, you have to want to have no part of it because the future is gonna be this glorious fulfillment of like the party or the religion's destiny that it's like, the past, the present is just an interlude between this glorious past and the glorious future kind of meeting up. And that's exactly how witnesses see the world. There was like a glorious past with great biblical figures and miracles and the Garden of Eden. The past is just this contemptible thing that we have to deal with. The future's coming that will ultimately just like realize this entire destiny. And that's, that's like a cult mindset. And when I was reading it, he was talking about the Nazis. But it's exactly like the Watchtower movement, and and, and I, I assume like lots of other high control groups too. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, there's even a scripture that says that something about being temporary residents. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly that. I remember being at an assembly, and um, the uh, circuit overseer gave a talk, 
and it, it was about this around this subject of being temporary residents in this world and he said when you go on holiday and you arrive at your apartment or your hotel room you don't plumbing plumb in a new washing machine <laughs> because you know you're you're not going to be there forever you're only there temporarily you know you're there to you know to eat and sleep that's that's not your home and he said that we should have the same kind of mindset or attitude toward this in this system we're not here permanently this is just like an as you said an interlude be between the past and the future yeah and it's yeah. funny it's funny you can't you can't have that like contempt and disdain for the whole system without it filtering into your viewpoint of people in general right i mean if you yeah. if you think of the whole system as corrupt and degenerate even if you're a, even if you're a people person and you've got like a high degree of empathy it will start seeping into how you view people like your neighbors in general the people that you work with it just you you can't you can't separate them and you're you're going to start viewing people in a in a more negative light than you would have uh, otherwise yeah yeah you're absolutely right i mean you you'll see people as like um you know expendable even i mean like i i could never ever even as a witness before i woke up i could never get my head around how you could have a witness who has a non-witness spouse but they on by all accounts and you know at least from an outsider looking in point of view they have a very good marriage but yet that witness knows that when armageddon comes their spouse who they love and who loves them is going to die how do you wake up every single morning with that knowledge and still carry on with everyday life and maintain a healthy relationship i just could not and i still can't understand how you do that I, I think people rationalize things in a, in a way. I mean, I, I certainly did that as a witness. I, I felt very uneasy with the idea of everyone who wasn't a witness dying at Armageddon. And it's, it's, it's kind of embarrassing to like admit this, but like I would, I would have like fantasies of Armageddon. I would, I would replay Armageddon in my mind. And I've watched a lot of your videos, and I remember you speaking about how it like frightened you or terrified you. And, lots of witnesses say that but i never i actually never had those feelings of like terror and fear i i like replayed fantasies in my mind of armageddon coming and you know like like witnesses doing this like super intense preaching just before the end came and you know, like the tribulation was beginning and like billions of people like just flocking to the organization and i think that's to some to some degree like how I was able to rationalize this idea of Armageddon and not being afraid of it that like the idea that ultimately ultimately a huge portion of the world's population would would recognize what was happening and like come into the come into the dogma um, and even though that was contrary to what the watchtower would, would, would have taught me um, I think it's I think it's some in some sense how I allowed myself to believe that these things were going to happen that it wasn't going to be quite as genocidal as the the, the watchtower preached it to be. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that because there's there's all sorts of different um, workarounds, mental workarounds that you have to do as a witness to yeah. to cut to try and reconcile the things that you either don't understand or don't agree with. You know, and I I think that that in itself, the fact that so many witnesses do that in itself is a is a sign of being in a high control group you know 
Like when you when you have to when you have to like personally rationalize the belief system that's being given to you by an authority figure, yeah, you you know there's a problem then, right? <laughs> it's like it's like trying to uh, rationalize the behavior of, of an abusive spouse, you know, like they're like they're they're abusing you and you're trying to say, well, they're stressed out or or they had a bad childhood. I mean, you know, this might be true, but it doesn't justify the doesn't justify the actions and. And it's the same with the beliefs. I mean, if if you are forced to kind of, as you say, like do a workaround on all these beliefs, it's like, yeah, it's a it's a almost a certainty that um, you're you're in a you're in a high control group that's dominating your thinking, and it's something you need to break free from. Yeah, yeah, quite right. So, wh where are you with your life now? Would you say that you're much happier now that you're not a witness anymore? Yeah. I would I, I I've 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 had several periods in my life where I was quite depressed and but like now I would say I've never been in a healthier mindset. I've never been more at ease with myself and like and I'm I'm not at ease with myself, but I'm more at ease with who I am than I've ever been. Um um yeah, I'm I'm definitely a happier person. Um and this is the paradox because witnesses are told that Jehovah's Witnesses are like a happy people and um, like doing what Jehovah wants you to do is going to give your life um, you know, satisfaction and happiness and it doesn't, it drains you of it. It, it, it's, it stops you from being your authentic self and if, if you're not being truly who you are then you're, 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 you're probably going to have mental problems. You're going to have issues that you can't quite explain. Um, you know why you're feeling anxious or stressed or depressed um but and i'm not saying this happened overnight i mean i haven't been to a meeting in nine years um and i'm not even disfellowshipped yet i mean i'm pretty much disfellowshipped because i have no connection with anyone um and i was like soft shunned pretty much from the get-go but um and that was a really traumatic time, like a very stressful thing. Like for like for me, emerging from the organization has taken years. But now that now that I'm like really properly out, I'm definitely happier than I've ever been in my life. You know. That, that's great to hear. That's great to hear. And I hear a lot of similar sentiments as well from from many others and myself included. You know, I'm so much more, as you said, at ease with myself now. As a person and I think in the last in the past couple of years while of me being a witness I felt a huge sense of being confined there are things that I wanted to do things that I wanted to achieve I didn't necessarily know why but I just felt confined do you, do you, know, do you know what I mean um, but I, I don't feel like that anymore I feel like that I'm free to express myself. I'm free to pursue things I want to pursue. I'm free to be who I want to be and be who I know that I am, that I truly am. And I didn't feel any of that as a witness, particularly towards the end. It was the complete opposite. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And even in little things, I mean, this might sound trivial or trite, but um, um, I curse now. And... I like cursing, you know, it, it's, it's, it's freeing and it's liberating and, you know, as a witness, sometimes I might have gotten like really angry and let one out and I'd feel guilty and I'd be ashamed and 
it, I find it very healthy. You know, if I'm frustrated or if I'm angry, just let out a few words and bang, it's, it's, it, it, I find it helpful. And it's, that might sound like a, a small thing, and it is, but there's a thousand small things that you can't do as a witness that is hampering your, your, your expression, your, your happiness, your autonomy, your freedom, and those 1,000 things are, are like stopping you from being who you really are. And when you can, when you can just do those things, whatever it is, um, uh, it's, yeah, you, you, you just find a contentment that you just can't have as a witness. Absolutely. <laughs> it's funny you should say that because um, I, I have exactly the same experience, not necessarily with cursing. I mean, I do curse from time to time. I don't tend to do it in public. Um, but with me, the, the things that I found very freeing and liberating is having my own time. It's just so invaluable to know that on a Saturday morning I can wake up and stay in bed. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. that one yeah. thing alone is just huge. It is just huge yeah. for me. You know, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I get, I get what you mean, Mark. It has been an absolute pleasure and an honor speaking with you this morning. Well, thanks. So yeah, I really enjoyed it, Riley. Yeah, thanks for having me on. No, thank you so much for, for coming onto the channel and I wish you all the best with your, your channel and um, I'll put, definitely put links in the description below so that others can go and subscribe because your content is really, really good. It is really good, especially for anybody who's not quite woken up yet. You know, I, I, I'd highly recommend your channel. Thank you. And thank you viewers for watching. If you haven't already done so, please like the video and also subscribe to the channel with notifications. Please proceed to the Jexit in an orderly fashion and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for watching to the very end of the video. If you haven't already done so, please like, leave a comment and subscribe to the channel. If you like my work and want to help me continue doing it, please support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Jexit underscore 2020. And with that, I'd like to sincerely thank these very special patrons who make these videos possible.